You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello and welcome again to episode 446 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. Uh, this is Seth trying for the third time now to actually get a decent recording of a podcast and seeing as I've done it for more than a decade, you'd think I'd have better skills, but uh, Ed, welcome back to this yet same episode again. I'm just wondering if this is now 446C or if we're really on episode 448 because we count all three. But this gets back to the math of of anniversary episodes for Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I am super happy to be back. Yes, our total inability to actually count or manage what order our episode numbers come in. Math is hard. Yeah. Um. So is recording a podcast, man. Anyway, uh, not that anybody cares, but I now we literally have recorded this three times now. Uh, we've had terrible troubles with technology on the road. But that sort of gets to the main point of this episode, which is we were on an inaugural flight this week, and it was pretty cool. It really was, yeah. It wasn't. I, I wouldn't say it was the greatest inaugural flight I've ever been on, quote-unquote, but certainly the entire experience was, you know, from beginning to end, was a very memorable trip. Yeah, and I... If you grade inaugural flights per, you know, value or experience per employment headcount of the airline, I think it's definitely pretty high. I have to think about how you just broke that down, but I'll just agree. It's a small airline and they put together a pretty good show. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what I thought you were saying. And yes, I would I, I would agree, I think. And I thought the I thought the CEO was very approachable. Um, you know, not just that she agreed to sit down with an interview uh, for an interview with you, but that in her comments, I thought she was very open, very approachable. And I think um, I think I now understand what the term Faroese means. Uh, yeah, just I think she re- really epitomized that. And so the route that we we're talking about the inaugural is Atlantic Airways, which is the national airline of the Faroe Islands launched its service from the Faroe Islands to New York-Stewart. Um, and they've been very careful to not call it New York City, but it's Stewart Airport, just like 70 miles north of New York City up in the Hudson Valley. Uh, an A320neo operating once a week, Tuesday outbound, Wednesday return. And only through the end of the summer season. It's a very short season that they have available. They're trying to generate some extra tourism traffic, but it kind of worked. It was, uh, you know, like, it's an easy hop. It's not a plane necessarily configured for premium ca- uh, premium experience or, or long-haul experience even, but it was an interesting and, I, you know, certainly a pleasant flight, mostly because, you know, inaugurals always are. But even beyond the inaugural concept, I think it was actually pretty good. Yeah, for sure. And for an airline, to your point, for an airline that's got to be one of the smallest, they, you know, they have four planes. Uh, I think they have a fairly um, uh, aspirational route map. Uh, you know, they've got the, the basic stuff that you'd expect. They have flights to to Copenhagen. They are, they are, I don't know, are they technically a protectorate of Denmark? I don't remember the classification. It's, yeah, like a semi-autonomous something. Yeah. Yeah. Pharaoh, they use the Denmark government for most foreign relations. They use the Denmark currency. Currency and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, the, so the Copenhagen flights make a bunch of sense, but they've also got uh, Alborg. You came over from Bergen. 
Oslo. Uh, they have a robust snowbird business in the winter for the Faroes to go to Las Palmas. Uh, I just I just thought as I looked more into the airline, I thought it was really interesting how they laid out their map. Um, you know, Charles de Gaulle is on the list. Uh, Edinburgh. Um, so I think they've made a, a like a, I think they've done a really good job utilizing their fleet to explore some interesting destinations. Yeah, and Copenhagen, uh, for obvious reasons, it gets multiple flights a day typically. Um, all the rest are two to three times a week, mostly. So it's uh, you know it's sort of a leisure carrier, but not entirely. It's sort of a full service carrier, but not entirely. It, it there was a lot of interesting quirks around that uh, experience, and yeah, again we. From the very beginning, as we've been playing this trip, we're like, and what the heck are they doing here? Why are they doing this? And I I understand, at least now having talked to Johanna Berge, the, the CEO, uh, during the trip, as you alluded to, why they're doing it, right? She thinks it was, it was, her, it was actually kind of funny to hear her say, like, well, we ordered the A320neo because we needed new planes and that's what you could get. And then they had way more range, so we tried to figure out how far we could go with them. You know, it was a little bit of yeah, and, we can. What can what should we do? It was interesting. And, and yet they're still uniquely challenged in that they extended the runway. Uh, but it's still I think it, I think you or Rob noted it was fifty nine hundred uh, feet. Yeah, it's very short. So still a very short field. So you, you get into this challenge of, well, you know, they're not going to be able to do too much in terms of outbound freight. Um, you know, in the big fishing industry there. So certainly, you know, I'm sure there's some level of salmon export that goes on that, those planes. Um, but they're going to have to, they're going to have to be very considerate of, of weight in the belly of the planes, depending on what the, you know, the passenger load is. And, um, you know, a a number of the destinations that they serve aren't necessarily places that are also even going to want, um, you know, experts from, uh, from the Faroe Islands. But I think, like, I think they, you know, they've, I think they've put together a fairly reasonable business plan to maximize the shortcomings they have with a short field and the lack of hotels on the island and, and lack of infrastructure and um, and and serve the local community as well as bring in enough tourists that it helps sustain the economy, which we saw when we picked up our pretty exciting little extra dot in line, but but not to overwhelm the the island itself because the islands can't really take the sort of and I think you were the one that noted this they can't really take the sort of volume that Iceland takes in in terms of tourists they want the tourism dollars but they really need to control how many of them they take in yeah and to her credit Yana sort of acknowledged that she's like yeah we don't want to be Iceland we don't want mass tourism we take protecting our environment very seriously and it is it's nature is sort of the raison d'etre for these islands at this point and what people come for it's birding it's hiking um some cycling we saw some people on bikes which is crazy given the hills but whatever uh i I, that was she was very clear you know the runway's not big enough to be a keflavik we can't get the range we're not going to do those things and we can't even get enough planes on the ground just because the ramp is very small and there's also not really room to expand that we're we're not going to be a major hub we're not going to be a massive tourism site but we want a little more and you know that there is capacity to support a little more they're talking more about stretching the season rather than increasing the peak if that makes sense yeah um you know not just having a 10-week 
tourism season from June through August, but sort of trying to stretch it from maybe late May to early October or something like that. And I don't know if that's going to work or not. I've now been twice, have absolutely loved both visits. Uh, if you're into anything vaguely active and outdoorsy, spectacular place to go. Uh, if you can get there via Stewart, uh, all the better because the nonstop, I actually thought the nonstop really was a nice option in the end. It's, but it still, it comes with its quirks. It does come with its quirks, but I think one of the, one of the benefits of that nonstop that I think cuts against picking Reykjavik is that it is a daytime nonstop from New York. And quite frankly, the flights to Reykjavik, we, you know, we took them last year and, it's just such a short flight to be a red eye. It just yeah. makes you so miserable when you get there. And then you compound that with, you know, depending on when you're going, um, you know, a, a, a vast difference in the amount of daylight or darkness that you're getting based on the, the you know, the, the seasons up there. And I think a daytime flight makes a lot of sense. And to your point, I think, you know, when you talk about stretching the season, I also think that Iceland does a reasonable job with winter tourism. And... Yeah. Uh, um, I think, I think the pharaohs could certainly conceptualize that because it's done in small quantities. When I think, again, back to the the puffin tour we did, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit, but you know, like that was that group was probably forty or fifty people. Yeah. So you know, running those sorts of winterish tours as the season stretches, or maybe just plopping them into the winter season, um, you don't need a lot of tour companies available to sort of cover the capacity of what they're bringing in with those planes that, that that could be you know very symbiotic for the island to have you know to your point just a little more tourism yeah i mean that tour was great and we should talk about that here next but the it is worth noting that the, the puffins are very seasonal we caught basically the last week or two of when they're there so yeah you can't if a puffin tour in december would be pretty boring you wouldn't see anything for sure. And, and, you know, I think my guess is that as you got through the rest of the island, there would be other things that you could yes. um, that you could emphasize, um, you know, whether that were water based tours or hiking or what have you. Um, and I, it, you know, to fill a 20, 30, 40 person tour off of a plane that has 140 or 150 passengers isn't terribly difficult. Yeah. And especially if and we actually asked about this, if, if you sell it as a slightly packaged setup where it's like on these day, you know, and maybe it's not a straight day one, do this day two do this. Like you're with everybody the same way the whole time. And she was very clear. She did not want to sell package tours. You know, the typical, we, we're going to focus on what we do as an airline, which is fly from point A to point B and then cooperate with other people who are better at doing those things, which is always refreshing to hear an airline say they're not trying to do everything to everybody in digital transformation, blah, blah, blah. But uh, there are some options there of, you know, being able to do some of those things a little better and you'll get people from the other flights that are coming in as well. There's still going to be, you know, a, a half dozen flights a day from continental Europe. Yeah. And to your point, I, 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 I tend to agree with the, Hey, we're not going to get into the package tour business ourselves, but I, I do think that there's an opportunity there for them to find someone who can be incorporated into the booking process for, um, you know, CTAs to to jump out to book some of these things because when we booked our flights, I would I don't recall being offered, um, you know, anything. And and had it not been for you, I wouldn't have known about the puffin tour. You know, maybe I would have stumbled on it. But I think, you know, for for if if you're trying to to help folks grow that tourism season, 
probably needs to be a little bit more of a lead when people are browsing on the website of, you know, hey, here are the things that you can do in the Faroe Islands. Here's how we, here's how we, here's, a, here's our partner that can help you construct that trip. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and she did say that they're cooperating with Visit Faroe and the Tourism Board. I think, I think they'll get a, that some of that will start to come together a little better. Um, yeah. It's, it's also a different type of tourist coming over from the States. So they're going to have to learn that a little bit. Um, but let's talk about our extra line uh, and a bit oh. of fun. Uh, <laughs> I, so thank you. I feel bad that we've told each other these stories about getting to the Faroe Islands several times now. And I think our listeners aren't going to hear them because I just can't beat myself into doing it again. We flew. There were planes involved. We were both in business class across the ocean. It was lovely. Um, yay. Eventually, we were on the Faroe Islands. I got there a day before you, or two days before you. But our schedule was somewhat built around the fact that on Sundays in the summer, there is a noon departure from Vagar, the main airport, to Mykines, which is this tiny uh, westernmost island operated by an Augusta Westland 139 helicopter. It was and, pretty epic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Faroe Islands is one of very few places in the world that still has scheduled helicopter service. Uh, Atlantic Airways, I think it's a se- technically a separate operating certificate, but they have a couple helicopters that they run around the islands. It's uh, commercial service. It's connecting the few islands that aren't on the road network. Uh, they've got a pretty impressive road and tunnel network as well. There's ferries, and they've got helicopter service for that and for search and rescue and emergency stuff for the fishing industry as well. But when they're not doing all those things, they have these scheduled flights, and we were able to secure the flight from, you know, it's like, what was it, 10 minutes maybe in the air? Uh, yeah, if that, yeah, yeah. Across the little uh, spit of water there. It was, when we got to the airport, you know, you, you guys just landed there. I came over on the bus that morning. We sort of looked at each other and shrugged our shoulders like, is this really going to happen? Because the weather did not look good. Yeah, low cloud cover and the the woman at the counter in the airport was, I wouldn't say indifferent because I think that might make the Faroese people sound um, uh, different than they are. I I found them to be a very engaged and helpful people, I think. But I think she just, having having the, the benefit of 2020 hindsight, I think she was just like, well, yeah, I mean, we pretty much always run a helicopter. You know, sometimes yeah. the weather's bad, but as we found out, we flew, you know, 100 feet above the water because the, the the cloud the clouds were so low. But we flew. Like, we didn't, there was no, like, there was really no talk of canceling that we saw. Yeah, yeah, keep it on the deck. It was, it was fun. It was our group of four. There was a family of four or five. Maybe they were a family of five. And then one other random guy who was not on the tour, but was like going to visit something over there or do some work over there I think there was one local on the trip yeah. but then there's the nine of us as tourists um but yeah they packed us into the helicopter we flew over and then joined the tour and, and that's the other thing is helicopter flights there uh are relatively inexpensive and they're extra subsidized if you're a Ferries resident but even for us I think it was like a 50 or 60 dollar ticket to hop across yeah, and and I did note. Um, I remember looking at this because at one point we had talked about um, a James Bond location, and I, I googled while we were on the island. I googled James Bond location, um, uh, Faroe Islands, and actually came up with a page on the Atlantic Airways website. So they do offer a tour of that. It was that was a bit more expensive. I want to say it was like 
don't know, 1500 kroner, 1800 kroner. So call it like 200 bucks, 250 bucks. Um, but a more significant quote unquote tour than what we took more of like a, a tour of the Island where, where ours was definitely picturesque and I enjoyed it. It was more of a commuter flight. Yeah. Ours was transport, not a tour. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. Even uh, though we were staring out the window, like, you know, two babbling idiots. Yes. Oh, there were two other guys with us. We were four babbling idiots. Let's be honest. Uh, but we, um, yeah, and then the hike itself, I will say, rewarding, stunning. It was cloudy and disgusting and grisly and wet. And that first bit is basically straight uphill. So it was very steep. Um, yeah. More than I expected. But yeah. still worth it because you get to the top and there's a whole, whole bunch of puffins just chilling the hell out. Yeah. Yeah, and, and as the as the crowds look at, as I can't talk today, as the clouds cleared, I think we also saw you know we were we were able to walk up the rest of the ridge line to the edge of a cliff, and the the puffin viewing only got better as we stood behind a small fence that was probably about waist high, and the burrows for the puffins were, I mean, literally at our feet, you know, a couple feet away, and the the yeah. puffins were quite comfortable. With us, I would say it was pretty similar um, in terms of their comfort level to the ex- uh, uh, experience we had last year in Bakagerdi on the uh, east coast of Iceland. Um, the only difference was that the volume of, of puffins in total was was far less in um, in, in Mykonos and the Faroes, but still plenty enough to see. And you got some incredible pictures with your camera. Yeah, and your lens. Thank you. Yeah, the the volume of puffins was definitely lower, but again, we were at the end of season. They were they yeah. were worried that we weren't going to see any at one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, and and I was I was definitely pleased, especially given we paid you know fifty bucks. Like I, I thought it was a very reasonably priced tour for what we got. Yeah, and you are obligated to pay the hiking fee and the other bits to do it. Um, and so it's not, and they did that on purpose to sort of reduce the impact of visitors uh they were having it was sort of overwhelmed and they're still trying to keep that like uh said trying to keep the nature part of the experience alive so uh i'm looking at a topographical map now it was only 300 feet of elevation gain Mm. you sure (laughs) my my quad my my quads and calves would disagree with you um yeah i mean the highest point we've got sort of in that overall in that section of the hike was only about 350 400 feet above sea level but it was also 400 feet of or 300 feet of elevation gain in about uh a half kilometer so it's yes. pretty steep in that sense it, it, it was pretty steep and uh slippery and it's exactly right like with the short grass it was slippery but anyways highly recommend go to mickiness see the uh, puffins if it's in season because that was a super cool experience even if you only take the ferry and can't get a helicopter That's, the other thing is the helicopter only has 12 tickets for sale uh, and it sells out pretty quickly for the tourist flight so uh, they sell seven days in advance it opens at midnight local time in the pharaohs so for the Sunday flight you buy it Saturday night 7pm on the east coast which actually is sort of advantageous versus someone yeah. living there who would probably get some uh, knocked out because they're asleep when it goes on sale but, yeah and i found the i felt like having booked a bunch of stuff in foreign countries over the years i found i found the booking path to be reasonable i didn't have errors things like that like it was 
it was like when you guys sent me the links, I sort of like girded myself for 10 or 15 minutes of wrestling with a website and found it to be, you know, a very straightforward, easy experience to book it. Yeah. I, mean, I was even able, I did it up from my phone sitting in a bar. So, you know. Yeah. And I also think worth noting too, like as, as far as what made the experience more special might not be exactly the right word, but made it more memorable was that when we got done with the tour, the folks that ran our tour also ran a small guest house in town. The town's only literally 20 houses. Yeah. That many. And uh, you had a really awesome bowl of fish soup. I had a you know cup of hot chocolate. It was very affordable. There were chickens sort of like plucking around, hoping to get a little bit of your soup. And it was just, you know, like it all felt in- incredibly normal in that moment. Like we were just like a, just like a part of the, a part of the island. Yeah. No, that was, that was really nice. And it was funny to come back down and see like all of our guides had changed into dry, comfortable, warm clothes and had switched to waiter and, bar back and busing service kind of thing yeah yeah <laughs> to, to the point that i think you didn't recognize a couple of them and then all of a sudden i pointed out you're like oh yeah 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 no it makes sense <laughs> well might, it might have been the it might have been the cloud cover and not being able to see them most of the time there there is that um going back to the inaugural flight just because you know in-flight experience is sort of one of the things we tend to talk about here a decent amount um i will say to me one of the interesting quirks about Atlantic Airways is they are a full service carrier, but little pieces of the experience seem like they're still sort of unbundled, low cost carrier esque, right? Like the meal cost extra on board, seat assignments cost extra on board. Um, it is a short haul configured airplane with 31 inch pitch front to back. Um, not the thinnest slimline seats, but also not the most padded sort of long haul seats, a lot of little things like that. And I want all of those things, you know, are, we'll say challenging, but at the end of the day, if you are trying to get to and from the Faroe Islands, does the nonstop and probably cheaper, even though it wasn't cheap, make up and sort of, you know, cover all manner of sin, as they say. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when I, when I think of all those bits and then I think back to our interview with the CEO, I, I do think that, a lot of those things align themselves with what we found the Faroese people to be, which were uh, simple folks, very accommodating, um, you know, not terribly, you know, needy or stuck on pretense. And, you know, I, I think to that point, I, I could certainly see, um, you know, like you stop for sandwiches downtown um, to bring on the plane. Like I could certainly see a, a, a section of people with Faroese who are just like, hey, like, you know, I, I don't I don't need a meal. Uh, I'm going to bring something with me, um, especially because the tickets themselves aren't necessarily cheap. So, um, so they're, they're, they're the, 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 at least the locals are, are probably committing a fairly decent amount of their discretionary income to hop on a, an Atlantic Airways flight and go somewhere, you know, certainly the, the reverse for tourists. So I think to your point, certainly maybe not as, um, uh, as put together an experience for, for folks who are visiting from elsewhere, but but probably largely aligned with what the Faroese want or need out of an airline flight. Yeah, and I that was an interesting comment. Like, right, we asked specifically, like, this is an all-economy plane, and admittedly, Europe is Eurobiz at best, so you just get a blocked middle seat, which everybody sort of gets on this anyways because it has to be weight-restricted because of the short runway, and so there's 40 or 50 empty seats every flight, guaranteed, and only 28 rows. Um but 
you know, why don't you sell a, a premium product? And her comment was, you know, we, we're an priceless. Yeah, we we are an offshoot of the Faroes government. We're, you know, we we have to represent our people, and we're a small island. Everybody knows each other here, and we wouldn't want to give the impression that we're different from each other. That we need that. Basically, I'm paraphrasing because it's more or less what she said, right? I mean, yeah, no, it was it was an incredibly humble comment to say, you know, that that maybe my neighbor would be upset or offended if I was in a better seat than them. Uh, and the level of consideration that, that, that the comment showed, I certainly think showed also in just in their actions. Um, you know, I had to I had to leave quickly because I was trying to catch a train to make it home. And um, I, I asked the crew about moving up near the front and they went out of their way to try and find a space for my bag. And they want to make sure I was positioned well. And, and, and like I just you know, I found found them to be very accommodating on board and very just very friendly and helpful, which I think is how we found all the people. So, yeah. Refreshing change, um, but to your point, um, you know, at, at least for outbound, which seems to be where they synthesize their mission from, is you know what the Faroese need. Uh, the Faroese don't need block middle seats. The Faroese don't need uh, more legroom. Which you know they're reasonably tall people, so that part surprises me. But sure, uh, they, they definitely needed mayo though. And as a fan, as somebody who's not a fan of mayo, the the in-flight meal did did feature a lot of that substance. Yeah, you you were much less happy about that than I was, for sure, uh, for sure. But I brought backup snacks, so yeah. I uh, and, and for what it's worth, by the way, like if I liked mayo, I thought that the meal was a reasonable value. It was a pretty decent sized piece of fish. Yeah, there were five or six little shrimp. There was an egg, a hard boiled egg. Um, you know, I wasn't offended at all by the meal. I just, I happened not to like mayo, but there was a, um, there was a a reasonable amount of food for. Well, we like we paid like what, like ten bucks, twelve bucks, eight bucks, something in that range. No, it was twenty two. It's fifty nine, one hundred fifty nine rounds. All right, so I don't know what I'm talking about, but I, I still, I still feel like it was. I still feel like I, I, I didn't feel offended by what I paid for it because the piece yeah. of fish was a pretty decent sized piece of fish. Like it was, if if it had all been food that I enjoyed, that that would have been fine. It was also, even with the mayo, it was leaps and bounds better than what I ate on in Polaris business class on the flight over and United. <laughs> where, 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 where I, I took a nap before um, I took a nap before eating, um, and I ordered the the steak and eggs because it seemed like the least worst of the three choices. And uh, so I ate it after the two people that were traveling with me, our friends. And the flight attendant came over to me as I was cutting the outside of the tenderloin off because it was so rough I couldn't really get a fork or a knife through it. I'm like, well, maybe the the inside is is more tender. And she comes over, she's like, oh, you're cutting the outsides of the tenderloin off. And I thought she was like, you know, making fun of me. She's yeah. like, yeah, your 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 friends tried that too. It's inedible. So <laughs> when the so, flight attendant tells you not to bother, you know yes. you're in trouble. Yeah, she you are wasting your time trying to get to the center. You will find nothing gold in the center. So, uh, so 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 Atlantic Airways wins on in-flight catering. Yeah, I I was I liked the meal. I'm not a huge mayonnaise fan, but don't hate it nearly as much as you do. Um, and also just happened to really enjoy it i mean it was cold piece of fish but it was i thought quite nice well i thought the second box was um not only more to my liking but i thought uh, you know a decent value as well i don't remember did we pay for the second box or was that included it was included you get it i think it was yeah yeah so it was four or five pieces of uh smoked meat like probably a salami um stuffed in a puff pastry with like a pepper a grape uh it might have been feta cheese i couldn't quite tell um and then there were like 
I was surprised fresh strawberries and grapes and the strawberries yeah. were, were, were quite good. So, I mean, like I, you know, again, reasonably impressed with what I was served out of that meal and, and ate most of that box. Yeah. I, I didn't enjoy the pastry. I thought it was soggy and not, I'm not a huge fan of cold pup pastry, but pulled the meat out and the grape and the cheese thing. And that was quite reasonable. Yeah. Mine didn't have the pastry uh, oddly enough. So they, they were just like these little like waferish things that the stuff was wrapped in and like that was just fine by me because uh, uh, to your point the meat and the cheese and the grape were all great fresh strawberries yeah. the whole bit the fact that it's not the same meal for everybody is kind of weird like what's going on back at catering but sure go with it uh and i we did notice that like things were different but anyway yeah. um little prosecco toast on board a nice speech mm-hmm. by the ceo talking about you know spreading their wings connecting ge- conquering geographies there, there is some of the sort of old, we'll say, Faroese slash Viking history, right? The Faroe Islands were basically settled by Vikings sailing off from Norway towards Iceland. And this was a pit stop along the way. And eventually they became settled in like, and these guys were navigating there, you know, using stars a thousand years ago, which is also kind of mind boggling. But yeah, uh, that, that sort of keeping that uh, sort of explorer spirit alive i thought was kind of fun and interesting um but yeah it was overall i mean i still come back to we we tried to run the numbers we tried to figure out how much fuel it was going to take and all those other things i still don't know how they're going to make money doing it especially with a relatively short season but uh i hope they do because i think it's a neat option to have it's not personally super helpful i can't imagine i'd drive four hours back to Stewart to try to catch this flight but there's a pretty decent catchment area around New York City that could take advantage of it easily and I think it's got potential in that context especially because it's you know just the once a week yeah and and we talked a lot about this both before and during the flight um you know Stewart Stewart's at a time and a place where you know maybe in the past the New York City area and points south were the major draw for that airport, and the 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 movement of folks further north means that that airport can now pull from the north. You know, call it from Newburgh up to to Albany for yeah. for an interesting destination, and, and potentially just because of how interesting this destination is, you know, further north of Albany. Uh, you know, I have family that live up in Saratoga that are now thinking about taking this flight, and so to that point, having a daytime flight over um, and um, you know, like the pricing is the pricing's not cheap. We paid about five hundred bucks per passenger for a one way flight, and the C- the CEO she she felt like that was a rate that they were going to yeah. to stick with. Um, I, to your point, once a week, I still think you know, I still think they can probably get to a level where the flight isn't losing much. Um, I, to your point, I even you know if they're going to wait restrict it or have to wait restrict it, if it's only going to have one hundred fifty passengers on it, it will be tough to make a lot of money on the trip. Um, but I, I still see if they can get that tourism piece of it right coming from New York, I do think it's additive overall to their network because as she noted, a number of the folks that come to visit have either been to Iceland before and learned about the Faroe Islands there, or if they come one way, they leave a different way. And so even her, she herself was um, coming over on the inaugural, they were going to New York for a couple of days and they were going back on either Iceland Air or Play to get back to, to the Faroes. So I think that opens up this as a, even though it'll never be a hub like Iceland, 
it does open up the pharaohs to be a hop on your vacation and now the first hop. Yeah, agreed. Or, or the last on your way home. I mean, depending which direction yeah. you're going. But yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and the and the fact that it's a daytime flight in both directions, in my opinion, like definitely going to be a daytime flight coming from Europe for sure. But daytime flight from the U.S. I really think does open up the appeal. Um, you know, it's not going to fill the plane for sure, but I'm sure there's you know some level of people, ten percent, fifteen percent, who look at a you know four hour red eye to Reykjavik and just go, Ugh, and you know would would probably be more inclined to take a daytime flight. Yeah, I will note that uh, Iceland Air, especially in the summer, does have daytime flights out of Boston and New York. But oh, I didn't know that. You, yeah, not for you down in DC. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, can't you can't have everything. And I think, you know, for me, I think like if I was talking to someone trying to plan a trip based on listening to your your two trips there and then now I've spent a couple of days myself, I do think I would say, you know, if you could if you could work out this flight to the Pharaohs, that would be the I take that daytime flight over. And then I would, you know, I would absolutely consider hitting um, uh, Iceland on the way back. I think that's a you know, that that's a great way to take advantage of all daytime flights for one, but also combining two, you know, incredible places to visit into one, into one trip from an airfare standpoint. Yeah. And that, that is in fact how we did it when we went the first time back in, when I say 2017, 2018, we did, we flew via Iceland both ways because the nonstop didn't exist yet, but it was daytime to Reykjavik, connected the next morning onward to the Faroes, did three or four days back to Iceland a week and then home or onward. So, um, that was a, a fun, and it was, you know, a round trip and then another nested round trip and it was me. So that was my wife's itinerary. Mine was much more complicated, but, um, yeah, yeah. very on brand. I do my best. I do my best. Um, anything else you want to talk about, uh, with respect to either our travels this week or anything else that's happened in the industry? I, again, I apologize to our, uh, listeners. We had an interview with the CEO that we recorded that completely went to garbage and much other fun conversation um so we're not going to have quite as much content as we planned to but here we are well i mean i definitely think we could get um steven and foz's opinion on their time there yes definitely thanks guys real interesting appreciate that Um, yeah, nothing else I can think of. I mean, there were a couple of industry things that we ended up talking about, but at the end of the day, I, I still come back. I probably the, if there's a silver lining to recording this three times, it's, it's, it's continued to evolve the perspective of being on the flight and being in the same place you were in the beginning. And I think the same place in the end, in the beginning, it was sort of like, and I can't quite figure out why they're doing this, but let's take advantage of it while it still exists. It's kind of cool. Um, to transitioning to, yeah, I mean, they can probably make a go of this. It's not going to make them a fortune, but that's not really their goal. Their goal is to do something sustainable. And, you know, this can probably get to sustainable. Yeah. And to serve the local population. I mean, that's the other thing she did mention. They have uh, people in the maritime industry that commute back and forth, students that commute back and forth. Right. um, And a decent bit of leisure travel sort of outbound from the island. They were hoping, I think, trying to remember some of the numbers she said she had like the las palmas flight was which is a winter only seasonal operation is like 90 percent outbound ferries and 10 percent inbound while the stuff to scandinavia is like 70 30 uh or 30 percent ferries outbound is 70 percent inbound and so this one they were hoping they'd probably hit around 50 50 yeah, let's be honest. I mean, we probably overlook this as 
uh, well, I mean, I I'm, I know I overlook it as a um, as a potential draw, but I mean, you know, New York is a big draw for a lot of the world, and this makes it really easy for people from the Faroe Islands to get there. We think it's a pain in the butt to get from Stewart to New York City, but considering that the bus ride from Torshavn, yeah. I could never pronounce that name correctly. However, however, you yeah yeah the the silent V um, to the airport is forty five minutes. The ride from Stewart via a pre scheduled bus to New York City probably isn't going to feel that bad to somebody from the Faroe Islands. Yeah, it's a 90 minute bus, it's 25 bucks. Like if you've got a 2 week vacation, 90 minutes on the bus each way to and from the airport is not good, but hardly the end of the world and you get a nonstop flight and you get to go where you're going and 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 and. So. Right. And the and the be- the benefit of a nonstop flight here is that it, in this specific instance, even with code shares, I think it would be difficult to get it all built into one ticket, so you're really buying two tickets to get to New York if you're from the Faroes and, you know, clearly don't do that anymore. And then as the same in reverse for people coming from New York, like in most cases, you're you're likely buying two tickets. Like there are ways, I'm sure, to string the whole thing together in one itinerary. It's just not going to be easy. Yeah. So, uh, or uh, more like as affordable. Correct. Yeah. You're, you're going to be paying additive pricing at best and potentially two tickets at worst. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, I'm just trying to see if I could even get something to price. Uh, you can SAS with 21 hours in Copenhagen. Uh, there's an Air France itinerary. With yeah, they did some coach. I remember her saying they did some Air France code shares with that. Yeah. Yes, they do have an Air France code share. Um, so if you get the dates right, it also depends on which day you go, because like we said earlier, not everything is daily. Um, they, and I also got to say, I'm just using Google flights. I'm not sure how much of this is, uh, Google selling end on end tickets versus, you know, right. a constructed, how it's constructed versus normal fares. So, anyway, there's, yeah, fair. It really does change things. And so, yes, you're right. We see Stuart as inconvenient and annoying. And in some ways it is, but against what other context, it really does matter. Yeah. And, and we should note, she did mention in our conversation with her that they tried, they thought about JFK, they thought about Newark. Slots were hard, gate space was hard, but most importantly, it was way more expensive for a once a week service and like hotel rooms for crew became very hard. Yeah. And on a flight that's likely not going to make or lose, like if they can get it, if they, if they can max this flight out, it's never making a huge profit for the airline. Hopefully it's not losing a lot of money, but you know, the cost of crew rooms on this is could be, could be 10% of the gains or the losses on the flight. Right. If you're staying in New York. Yeah, I mean, even with the negotiated rate, you're only negotiating for a few weeks and one night at a time. Like, it's you're you're not going to get a volume discount that's especially great. Yeah, not at JFK. So, um, or not frankly, you want to stay in your JFK. I say, if you make your crew stay at JFK, they may not come back. <laughs> um. All right. Uh. On that note, I'm going to call it here. Uh. Thank you for recording this yet once again. Ed, uh, really appreciate the conversation. I do think, quite frankly, this is the best version we've had, save for the conversation with Joanna that we lost. Uh, this is definitely the best version of the, the recording we've done. So, uh, for our listeners, you win by me being totally incompetent at recording. Um, if you want to follow Ed's conversations and stylings a bit more, you can find him talking on the Miles to Go podcast, which I believe you're also going to have additional conversation about this trip with uh, Richard about, including some yep. of your other travel bits. Yep. 
Yeah, and, um, and I think I think it's only fair that I get credit for being on three episodes of Dots, Lines, and Death yes. Station. No, you get three three punches on your uh, sandwich card. You're much closer to a free submarine here somewhere soon. Perfect. Uh, also, pizzainmotion.com uh, for your written version of travel blogging, which still sometimes gets updated. Uh, for us, obviously, more Dots, more lines, dot com, uh, and Dots, Lines on the artist formerly known as Twitter that we rarely check anymore. So there's that, uh, but you can certainly drop us an email or otherwise get in touch if you've got thoughts about anything or want to hear about specific things that we're uh, experiencing along the travel world here. And uh, yeah, that's it. Happy travels. On behalf of Stephen and uh, Foz, uh, take care and happy travels.